0: Welcome to Rainbow Turtle Rebooted. This is a podcast series about fair trade and the people involved in it. It is brought to you by Rainbow Turtle, the fair trade shop and charity based in Scotland. Welcome to episode 8 of the Rainbow Turtle Rebooted podcast. This is the second part of Martin Rhodes' talk that he gave to the Rainbow Turtle AGM back in October. In part one, he talked about the links between COP26 and fair trade. In this episode, he answers questions from the audience and goes into some of the areas more deeply. Some of the questions he dealt with were, how did we prevent the Global South from paying for the cost of the climate emergency? What was happening to tariffs that was preventing producers from exporting finished products rather than raw materials? And what was the Scottish Fair Trade Forum doing after COP26? So pour yourself a cup of tea, sit back and relax. Question is, is anyone uh, within the fair trade community getting a voice at COP26?
1: The answer is yes. There are some um, representatives there of global fair trade organizations. So Fair Trade Africa have representatives there. The um, Central Latin American Association has representative, the Asian Pacific Fair Trade Organization. So there will be people there. The question in all these is, is, yeah, it's important that people are there to have that voice. It's important that we augment that those voices by ensuring that they're listened to and that they will get listened to more if more people are saying they should be listened to. So it, it's good It's good that they're there, but being there in terms of is the first step. The next step is ensuring that they're listened to. And that's, I think, where we play a role.
0: Thank you. Jim, you had a question? So the, the question is that in the past, governments have thrown money at a, a problem and it's not really been directed enough. And the question is, are governments being more specific in their targeting of funding?
1: I'd start by answering that by saying I think there is a problem that money has gone where it doesn't need to go and I think that's for me is the fundamental global problem of inequality those that have money get money and more money and I think it's in terms of the, the you know the underlying injustice in that global system in terms of money being flung at problems in many ways I think the issue is that not enough money has been put into resolving some of these issues that actually if you look at, you know, in terms of dealing with issues of sustainability, in terms of dealing with issues to do with the stewardship of the environment, it's come fairly low down on the list in terms of where money has been spent. If we look at, in terms of where money has been spent globally, without getting in terms of actually, in terms of you know, money goes where money is. If you look at how much money is, you know, being you know spent in terms of in the financial in in you know, the financial world, being used for very large sums of money not going in anything particularly productive so i think we need to look at that in terms of first of all also in terms of i think with regard to if you want to talk about you know aid and developmental aid obviously what we're saying in fair trade is actually trade is a way of ensuring that people are able to support themselves to build out of the situation of poverty but for many situations you need to have an intervention to get people to the level where which they can actually trade because if you're in a situation where you have no means of actually producing something because you can't actually get the basic parts that you need, the constituent parts to make something or to grow something, then you're never going to trade away anywhere because you just, know, that option is just not there. You know, Saying to people who do not have that or do not have the ability to actually access a market, quite literally in terms of sometimes physically, in terms of actually any transport to get their goods to the market to actually sell it. So there needs to be, in many cases that intervention which is about targeting resources in order to give people the opportunity to trade um, obviously in terms of the fair trade movement we are talking about trade as a way of ensuring that people can um, access you know, in terms of have control over their own lives. but there is a you know a point to be made about actually you need to get people to that level where they can actually even start doing that and so that's why we do need still you know globally intervention in terms of um, development and money going in in terms of aid to get people to that level whereby they can then start to be able to access. There's still then problems in terms of physically being able to access the market and actually being able to access the market are often two different things in terms of you know markets are not run fairly um, in that sense in terms of who has access to them even if they physically can get their products there who buys it how do they buy it and what terms do they buy it. and obviously that's central to what we're doing in terms of trade. But I think one of the things we do need out of COP26 is a commitment to climate finance. We need to ensure as well that it isn't just about the total amount of climate finance that is given, it's actually where does it go Um, and we need to ensure that it's not done in such a way that those who can afford it the most actually get something out of it as well. It goes to those who actually need that climate finance support the most and I think that's a key element. We don't want a situation where governments put money in and then what happens is some you know a whole range of the big um, multinational corporations then find ways of accessing the money to do certain things rather than actually going to people who need that support in order to get um, the support that they need.
0: Linda, you've got a question, please? It's about how can we make sure that the money that we send to the Global South actually gets to the producers and not into the politi- pockets of politicians?
1: Sure, I mean, there needs to be proper governance of um, and you know, in terms of, of processes that goes without saying in terms of, and I'm not denying that that has happened on occasions. I think, however, that it is often over emphasized as a way of, of those who don't think we should be doing it anyway. We need to be careful of that so we don't just, you know, keep nodding along and say, oh, it's terrible, and everyone, you know, in terms of, so there has to be proper governance structures in place. We I, mean, I need to make sure, and it, we need to be linking it into, in terms of around the issues of human rights, around the issues, as I say, in terms of not just climate action, but human rights and about, you know, in terms of we need to make sure there is all that put in place. But essentially in terms of we need to do something and we need to do something fast. And we need to ensure, yes, it's done and as effectively as possible. We don't want money to be wasted because actually we need to get the best possible return because the situation is so dire. Um, so I do think we need to be careful that we don't overemphasize I'm not saying that in terms of it doesn't happen But I think we need to be careful we don't get into that agenda Because actually the issue isn't just about some money that might have gone astray It's actually about the fact we haven't put enough money into it in terms of in the first place And the bigger question is actually why have we got to a situation where actually we We're in this situation of inequality Anyway that to me is a much bigger question Than you know did some of the money that we put into Which wasn't enough anyway go astray
0: Thank you least you had a question? So, the question relates to something Martin was saying earlier on about how we don't want the poorer countries paying for the, the cost of the climate emergency. And uh, how do we, you know, what, what are those costs and how do we make sure that doesn't happen?
1: We do need to look at globally how we consume what we consume and how we consume it. And there, you know, there has to be changes to people's behaviour in terms of what we all do, because the South we've got at the moment is unsustainable, and we've proved that in terms of the situation we've got ourselves into. But the answer is not to go on a sort of short-term basis of just, we need, we need to do something about this, therefore we'll stop you know, importing this anymore from the global South. That's sort of, you know, just stick up the barrier and just say, we're not doing that anymore. You know, We don't need bananas, we're not gonna buy bananas anymore. And what I mean by them paying the price is we'll end up there in terms of, you know, some of the most the poorest, you know, countries in the world some of the poorest people in it, and we're suddenly not having you know, something... We've, we've created a situation through colonialism whereby we have created this sort of this system whereby goods are transported around the world, and we've benefited from that in the global north you know, for generations now. And people in poorer countries have paid the price of that. You know, we've exploited it and you know, taken out various resources because we want them. And now what I'm saying is the danger. People say, well, actually, we shouldn't have done that. That's one thing. We're going to stop doing it now. So after people have become dependent on a market, us buying certain products, to just say, actually, we're not going to buy them anymore, you're just going to hit them then. And so having exploited them through the actual trade, you're then going to actually hit them with, when well, we're not doing that anymore. So they will actually lose out both the first time in terms of when we were trading, and then they'll lose out when we stop trading. So if we do decide globally that we actually need to, you know, we want to reduce trade, then we need to work out globally how we do that and how we, essentially compensate for what we've done in terms of the system that we've got. That's one element I would say in terms of that. Also the issue in terms of if we are to put greater standards on production, that's fine. But we need to look at in terms of where the cost of that goes. Because if we put the cost of that onto the producer as opposed to elsewhere in the supply chain or on the, on the consumer, then you know the benefit in terms of that we're supposed to be getting environmentally from putting those standards on, you know, will be largely gained by those in the Global North. And the price of it will largely be felt by those in the Global South. So if we are going to put extra costs in the system, and that may be necessary, but we need to make sure that those costs are spread fairly, justly through that whole supply chain. And and there's a real danger, actually, people say, well, actually, we're not willing to pay more for our goods. But we want them to be more ethically produced, more sustainably produced, but we're not willing to pay more for them. Now, that's difficult. I mean, in the sense of there are people at the moment who are struggling in terms of, you know, financially here in Scotland, in the UK. To actually then talk about them having to pay more is difficult. But the issue is in terms of we can't be expecting, in terms of, you know, people in the global south to actually take that cost up as well. Somebody else has to take that cost up. And that may not be the end consumer, it may be you know, the big business that's buying these products in may have to take a cut in what they're willing to take as a profit. Absolutely honest, they won't want to do that. So it may be in terms of the question being actually, we may have to make them do that through some form of regulation because they may not willingly do it. So that's just some of the examples of what I mean. And so we just need to be careful that we don't sort of inadvertently, through wanting to do the right thing, end up hitting people who are least able to pay pay the cost of it.
0: Thank you. Yes, Stacey, please. Okay, the question is, Are you seeing any signs of change in the way that big business is doing things?
1: I don't know enough big business um, to actually (laughs) say in terms of. But is that? I mean, they're certainly saying a lot more about climate, about sustainability, Mm -hmm. how that translates. Also, I think a lot of what they're saying is about environmental response, which is, as I said earlier, is fine. But actually by itself won't necessarily help. So I think a lot of businesses, you know, mainstream businesses are looking at in terms of reducing waste, reducing packaging in terms of plastics and stuff like that. There are a lot of mainstream businesses that are doing that and that's you know there's nothing wrong with that and we should be encouraging that. But that's only one element of what's required in terms of how we respond to the situation that we're in, I think is my concern. So I think yeah there's plenty of big businesses that I think are doing measures which are perfectly fine and good, but they're just Other aspects of what needs to be done that aren't really being addressed.
0: Thank you. Duncan, you had a question. The question is uh, in relation to tariffs that are in place that prevent or make it difficult for producer countries to make their own products like chocolate instead of sending us the raw materials because there's higher value on, on the product than the raw material.
1: I mean, it goes back to something I said earlier in terms of how did the system of trade arrive, being in terms of, and it was about, you know, the colonial system of taking out raw materials and then using them in terms of production right across the board, in terms of that was, so that's the historical background to it. In terms of tariffs now, yes, I mean, we have been involved in campaigns around ensuring that trade deals that the UK is doing post-Brexit don't have tariff regimes in place, which are detrimental to um, people trading in terms of in the, from the global south. And particularly, obviously, our interest has been around fair trade campaign um, producers. We led a campaign with the yard to ensuring that the deal with Ghana was signed off to ensure that in terms of producers there weren't facing tariffs in terms of bringing their products into the UK. Because there are a fair number of fair trade um, products in terms of um, bananas from Ghana and also um, In terms of cocoa, in terms of Ghana as well, there are issues. You're right. In terms of tariff barriers, the other thing that goes back to the point I was making earlier about, in terms of the question, which was around some of the difficulties in terms of making those in the Global South pay the price, is that there is also increasingly issues around non-tariff barriers, which can be about standards. It can be about, in terms of, and that's another issue in terms of that can be restrictive in terms of people bringing products in. so we need to look at the tariffs, yes, but also the non-tariff barriers and ensure, again, that in terms of if we are going to put on stricter, and sometimes I mean, they're not all certainly related to environmental issues, but if we are going to put them, for instance, on environmental in this context, then we need to ensure that actually that is not just a way in which we are protecting, in terms of taking protective measures against goods coming in. Because actually, you're right, one of the big problems in terms of the way in which trade is done globally is a lot of the value is not added in the country of origin, in a sense, and that's one of the problems that we have. I'm um, in the trading system that actually you take raw, you know, materials out fairly cheaply, you then add the value in terms of, you know, outside of the country in terms of then so where's the money going in terms of this? A lot of it isn't going back to where the product starts off. So yeah, that is a you know, a huge issue, you know, that's been you know, historically it comes back to, as I say, the colonial era but it goes right the way through to the current day. So it does link in in terms of to what we were saying earlier. So it, we need to look at tariff barriers, but also non-tariff barriers, ensuring that, again, the, the, the big point being, those who you know, can afford it least don't pay the biggest price.
0: Thank you. So the question is, um, do you think that uh, Brexit made it easier to have fair or better uh, trading arrangements? I
1: would say it's too early to say. We'd need to look back in a few years' time and say, what direction of this trade deal's gone? By and large, in terms of most of the arrangements with, well, certainly in terms of with the lowest income countries, have just been rolled over, as I said, in terms of the same deal is in place now as what was in place prior. So they've just taken the EU, brought it in terms of the UK. It's how that develops over time, I think, is probably going to be the test in terms of. So, I mean, yeah, it's too early to say. I think be my answer. Um, I may be dodging the question there, but, in terms of, but I think it is just too early to say, because really. Nothing much has changed. There are complications um, in terms of for businesses that is the same for any business, but it's certainly fair trade business have reporting to us in terms of around, you know, some of the paperwork and so on increasing. So some of the bureaucracy around actually importing goods has got greater. But some of that as well in terms of fair trade producers is in terms of it depends on the route they have in terms of getting their product in. Because if you take the question about the cocoa, The issue there is if the cocoa then goes into somewhere in the EU, is then turned into chocolate and then the chocolate is imported from somewhere in the EU, there is clearly now more of a problem doing that than what there was prior to Brexit. It depends on the route that's taken in. I mean, I know of one particular business whereby they were almost caught in a double whammy on this because in terms of fair trade business, because they were goods were coming in from the global south, coming into the EU, being then in terms of sent on, out uh, from, they came into the Netherlands or whatever and then came into the UK. And then this business was then in terms of based in the UK, it was yes, selling in the UK, but it was also in, actually then going into the EU, it's into France or Germany or somewhere. <laughs> so they're having to deal with the sort of the two ends of it in terms of both bring it in and then taking it, which they hadn't done, had to do previously because they were just getting it in and out of the EU. So there are is certainly issues that have arisen over the sort of bureaucracy in the process In terms of the trade deals themselves, I think it's probably too early to say what the pattern is going to be.
0: Thank you. Last question, I think. Um, Martin's been speaking for nearly an hour. (laughs) Sorry. So, the question is really post COP26, and what the Scottish Fair Trade Forum will be doing afterwards to sustain things?
1: It obviously will partly depend on what comes out of COP26 in terms of the detail of it. What I'm absolutely certain of is, you know, we won't get to the end of COP26 and everything will have been sorted out. <laughs> but there will still be plenty to be done. I think we will still need to make that argument and continue to make that argument through all that we do that trade justice is absolutely central to delivering climate justice. And the two cannot be done, you know, separately. And I think that has to be continue to be our message in terms of campaigning, in terms of individual campaigns, and also in terms of, you know, when we are making the argument about what people, you know, buying fair trade goods, we need to be making the argument that actually this is, you know, part of the solution to this climate emergency. So more of the same, I think, is what's going to be required. I mean, if it's a very successful COP twenty six, I mean, I'm not saying it's not, you know, it, who knows? But even if it was very successful, it won't have resolved the issue, for, you know, for all time. The same message will still be there. The same fundamental argument about the need for trade justice in order to deliver for the climate.
0: Thank you, Martin. Um Yeah, that was excellent. Really appreciate it. I think I've got one takeaway from that, and it's this last statement that you made that trade justice is central to climate justice. So thanks very much. Thank Thank you. I hope you found that episode enlightening. We were fortunate to have Martin speak to our AGM as his thinking points to where we should be heading, rather than just remaining where we are at the moment. As well as my thanks to him, I would also like to thank Philip Ologay, who so professionally edited the questions and saved me a lot of time. In addition, I'd like to thank our education officer, Linda Okoya Ologay, for recording the talk. Listen out for our next episode, where I interview Pauline Tiffin, the editor of the Journal of Fair Trade, who, amongst other things, was one of the founders of Divine Chocolate and Café Direct. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Turtle Rebooted podcast. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe to our series, and better still rate our podcast and leave us a comment also tell your friends! A wee thanks to Patrick Quinn for his piece of music, Dr Anne and her books, and to Patrick and Maureen Quinn for playing so beautifully. We'll see you further on. Cheerio!